This episode of the MGMA podcast is brought to you by Walmart Business. It's the Walmart you love, now for business. Get everything you need for your staff and patients in one place. Enjoy big savings on health and safety products, cleaning supplies, over-the-counter medications, and much more. And don't forget the break room snacks. Create a free account today and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. Hi, this is Daniel Williams, host of the MGMA Insights Podcast. I want to share an exciting offering from MGMA, the Transformative Healthcare Delivery Certificate Program. It's an in-depth online learning experience December 6th through the 7th that provides healthcare leaders with a mastery of accountable care organizations, clinically integrated networks, commercial value-based care programs, and CMS's value-based care programs, including MIPS and APMs. So go to mgma.com events to attend the certificate program December 6th and 7th. And now, on to our podcast. Hi, this is Daniel Williams, host of the MGMA Insights Podcast Network. As you know, burnout, stress, and other mental health-related issues are at all-time highs for healthcare professionals. According to a recent MGMA stat poll, 80% of healthcare leaders said their level of stress or burnout had increased in 2022. Because of this stress-related epidemic, MGMA is offering a new podcast series, Mindful Medicine, where each episode we talk with experts in the field of psychology, neurology, leadership, and mindfulness to help explain workplace stress and provide tools and resources to combat it. Before we speak with today's guest, let's first hear from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Zoll Data Systems AR Optimization Solutions for Healthcare. The Zoll AR Boost Solution Suite increases revenue from payers and patients in compliance with the No Surprises Act, while reducing front-end workload and freeing up staff for higher-value activities. Visit zoldatacom ARBoost to learn how you can ensure no payments are left on the table. Our guest today is Dr. Jeff Comer. Dr. Comer has spent more than 20 years as an interim and permanent acute and behavioral hospital CEO. The hospitals have ranged from rural critical access hospitals to large urban facilities and have included nonprofit, for-profit, and government-owned models. In today's podcast, Dr. Comer discusses strategies to beating burnout for more effective leadership. He also talks about the positive impact of kindness in the workplace. Dr. Comer, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, Daniel, it's great to be here. I always look forward to these podcasts with you, and we've got so much to cover and so much going on in the world, so I, uh, I enjoy these. 
All right. Well, good. Well, it, it is great to have you here again. So I want to touch on something uh, that you recently spoke at MGMA's Leaders Conference that was held in Boston. Um, you had a very interesting topic there. It was top 10 tips for beating burnout for practice leaders. Wanted to just put this in context for a moment. Burnout's been a huge challenge for practice leaders well before the pandemic. It's been exacerbated by the pandemic, but you and I we're both looking at a, a 2018 MGMA uh, mm -hmm. survey on stress and burnout. It found that even in 2018, prior to the pandemic, that 73% of leaders at practices said they're burned out. Why is that? What are the biggest yeah. factors that are causing this burnout in healthcare, whether it's pandemic related or even prior to the pandemic? You know, it's it's funny, not as in ha-ha funny, but it's such a simple answer to your question, but also very complex. These are just tough jobs. These are tough jobs that we do in these practices. We have many stakeholders that we have to keep happy. Many of these stakeholders have different agendas. They're going in different directions, but we've got to get them all on the same page, moving in the same direction. We have this, this never-ending pressure to perform, to hit results, to hit targets. And again, when you've got different stakeholders, that's compounded as a challenge. We have the weight of the organization on our shoulders. Our decisions can make an organization successful or maybe go the other direction leading to a turnaround. So it's a lot of pressure from that aspect. We are all 24 seven, 365. We've all gotten the calls at two in the morning on Christmas day. That just goes with our jobs. And that makes it very difficult with our families because you never really are away from the job. You've always got that phone with you. You've always got to take that phone call on Sunday afternoon when you're at dinner with your family or Saturday evening. You can't get away. It's really tough to. So that, that produces a lot of stress in your family as well. Um, I think we all know that practice managers and leaders have the, some of the highest divorce rates, high uh, substance use rates, high behavioral health rates. All of these things kind of come together. And to cap all this, as leaders, as managers, we don't get a lot of attention. All the attention goes to our clinicians, our doctors, our nurses, and they need it. I'm not saying that doctors and nurses and clinicians don't deserve that. They absolutely do. But so do we. And I think a lot of us feel neglected. We feel like we're alone. But the statistic you just shared shows we're not alone. We're actually all very burned out. In fact, the rates of burnout for leaders are actually higher than the rates for clinicians, which is very interesting uh, to me. And there's a, a lot of reasons for that. But I think when it really comes down to it, uh, you look at all these factors I've been talking about. And at the same time as a leader, we're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to be confident. We're always supposed to have the answers. We're supposed to know what to do. We're supposed to be there to take care of the organization, to take care of our employees, our doctors, our staff. And so this is kind of hardwired into our mindset. It's how we're trained in our, our educational system and process. It's how we, we enter these jobs. It's how we get rewarded and get promoted because we, we do have that knowledge. We do know what to do. But unfortunately, that leads us to not really focus enough on ourselves. We're focused on everybody else in the world in our organization, our employees, doctors, the performance, all of those different aspects. But we tend to neglect ourselves. And then we feel weak. We feel that we are 
uh, not strong anymore. We don't have all the answers because we're hurting. We're having some issues. We don't have that motivation. Our productivity drops a little bit. And so all of these things come together and they produce almost a lack of control. And from a psychological perspective, anytime we have a lack of control, it leads to psychological challenges and issues and problems in, in our lives, particularly for leaders who are so used to being in control or at least having the perception of control. The final thing I'll mention, this is a really interesting one. It is what I call the badge of honor of stress. And a kind of an example, I'll get together with one of my colleagues and uh, one of my really good friends, I'll just call him uh, Sam for a, a random name. Uh, we'll get together for you know a couple of drinks at the you know MGMA conference each year. And it'll start out something like this. I'll say, gosh, Sam, you have to bear with me. I'm really tired today. I've been, I've been working 12 hour days. And Sam will say, oh yeah, you know, I know I, I'm working 14 hour days. And then of course my next thing is, well, yeah, but you know, I work Saturdays too. And then of course he works Sundays and then we do this and that. And it's like this competition. Like I've got to be more stressed than him. I've got to work harder than him. And so it's like we wear stress as a badge of honor. All of these factors, and we could talk for this, you know, for hours, obviously, but all these factors lead us to having long-term, what I call chronic unmitigated stress. And that's what leads to burnout. Mm -hmm. That's what leads to all the negative effects of stress. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. And I was just about to ask you to clarify between what's stress and then what is burnout. I think yes. you, you really touched on it, but if you don't mind just clarifying that for our audience, just so we really know what we're talking about here when we talk about I'm stressed out and yes. I'm yes. burned out. So we, we do complicate this way too much. So stress is essentially a psychological, a physiological response to a stressor of some sort. It is there to protect us, to keep us as a species alive. So our brains are still hardwired to be on the plains of Africa, the grasslands of Africa. That tiger comes running at you, your brain goes into a freeze mode, your, your amygdala takes over, you know, all these hormones, these neurotransmitters, the immune system kicks in, and that fight or flight response kicks in. It's there to keep you alive and save you. That is really what stress is supposed to be. The problem is in human society, we have all these technology changes. We're quote, more civilized. Society has evolved faster than the brain. And so what happens is the normal stress response, you get really stressed, you deal with the situation and the stress goes away. It's a very short time period that that, that response occurs. With that, there's no damage to your body. The immune system calms down. You don't have cytokines causing all kinds of damage internally. You don't have the psychological conditions that result. Burnout is a stress-induced disorder, but is a chronic, unmitigated stress-induced disorder. Chronic meaning it stays with you over time. It doesn't have that short window that acute stress should have. It's there with you for months, for years. It's unmitigated. You haven't managed it. You haven't gotten all of that stuff in your body calmed down again. It's just always there inside of you. So it has to go somewhere. It has to do something. And that's what leads to the diseases and disorders. So burnout is just long-term stress. It happens at work. It happens at home. Most people think of burnout and they think of a work setting. But I mean, anybody who's a parent, let's raise our hands. You've all been burned out with your kids at times, right? I mean, it doesn't make you a bad parent. Just sometimes you get burned out with your kids. Maybe you get burned out with your workout routine. Maybe you get burned out with a, you know, a nutritional plan you're following. Maybe you get burned out with your significant other at times. 
burnout happens in all aspects of life and it is cumulative. So again, stress, you want to think of it as more of a short-term response to a particular stressor. Burnout is something that lasts for a long period of time and it's cumulative. Okay. I'm going to assume that our listeners, because they are practice leaders, they're people, they're physicians, they're nurses, they're practice administrators, they're in the in the throes of it, of stressful situations and even burnout situations at practices. So Mm -hmm. you've defined and clarified what burnout is. So now what do we do about it? What are some of the key tips to beating burnout for practice leaders, for physicians, just for anybody who happens to have landed on our podcast and are are listening right now? Yeah, I'm chuckling, Daniel, because psychologists are masters at explaining what's going on with you. But in terms of fixing it, we're not as good at that. So, Um, and here's the key, here's the absolute key. And I know you and I've talked about this on other podcasts. As a psychologist, I can't fix you. I can guide, I can coach, I can give suggestions. I I can tell you, you know, research best practices. You have to take control of your own stress, your own burnout. Suppression never, ever works. Suppression is where you consciously say, I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm too busy. I'll deal with this next week, next month. That doesn't go away. It, it stays in your body. That's why you have, if any of us have gone to a massage and the massage service is working on your back, they say, wow, you, you've got some stuff going on in here. That's what it is. That's your stress. It's stored there. And there's a whole, there's a whole scientific explanation of why you have those muscle knots that I could go into that are, that are beyond mm-hmm. our podcast today. But my point is, you have to take control of your stress and burnout. Do something. There are thousands of different techniques you can use, uh, but you must understand that burnout, as we talk about, is unmitigated long-term chronic stress. So take control, but don't let it become unmitigated. Now, the next thing I always like to tell people to do is to break the chronic portion down. So if you have a, a really toxic work environment, you've got a boss that's just horrible to work for, it's overwhelming. I totally get that. But instead of thinking, oh my gosh, I've got this horrible boss and I hate going to work and he's always terrible and life is just awful and I I don't want to be at work anymore. Think about breaking it down. And and this can be a little tricky, I know. But if your boss gave you feedback on a project you just did, instead of taking it and blowing it out of the proportion of this horrible boss and this toxic work environment, think about that feedback, just that isolated incident, that one single project that you got feedback on, listen to what the feedback was, and then determine how you want to incorporate that feedback into your next project. Now what I've done is I've taken control of that toxic work environment, and I've tried to focus on a much smaller segment. What I'm trying to do is get you away from that long-term chronic burnout and deal with it on a short-term acute stress basis. Now, I'm not saying that that will solve your toxic work environment. There's a whole other conversation on Mm -hmm. that, but it can help you to deal with those individual events a lot better. Essentially what you're trying to do, and I I always use public speaking as an example, or or like doing a podcast even right now, it it is always amazing to me when you ask people what their greatest fears in life are. And a lot of people say they fear public speaking over death, which to me, it it just is amazing that you'd be so afraid of public speaking, you might rather die. But that is actually something people say. But here's the thing, from a physiological standpoint, your psychological response to the public speaking event, your physiological response, you're labeling it as nervousness. But if you contrast that with an event that's very exciting to you, something you really love to do, 
the physiological psychological response is identical. It's how you're labeling it. It's how you're interpreting it. So instead of saying, oh my gosh, I, I've got this, this podcast with, you know, this mean Daniel Williams and I'm so stressed about it. I'm so <laughs> nervous about it. Tell yourself, hey, I'm really excited about it. He's a great guy. He wants to hear what I have to say. We're going to talk and brainstorm and, and get some ideas out there. Just changing that mindset is really important. So first, take control. Second, break the overall overwhelming feeling down into manageable chunks. And third, try to change your mindset to how you're dealing with it. Now, there's hundreds of other tips I can give, but if you focus on those three starting today, you can make a huge difference in your life with your burnout and your stress. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what I'm hearing you say, it is um, an ownership situation for the individual. As you mentioned, a person can go, they can read books, they can go into therapy, they can do a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, it's the old, uh, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make it drink, so to speak. So true. That's a good way to put it. You're so true. That's right. That is right. You know, I think about um, depression. You know, we've all had it at times. We've all been, uh, de depression is your body's way of helping you to deal with something. It's not a disorder. It's not that you're broken. It can have negative effects on your life, obviously. But if you think about it, as a psychologist, I tell people you have your thoughts, your emotions, and your behaviors. When you're really depressed, when you're you're just so down and gloomy and morose, and you're you know you have that pity part, and you're telling yourself you know things about yourself you would never say to your friends, you, it's really hard to change your thoughts. A lot of times we say, well, you have the power to choose. You can choose a different response. That is sometimes really difficult when you're in that really low level depression. So changing your thoughts are very difficult. Changing your emotion at that state is almost impossible. It's hard to say, okay, I'm not going to be depressed. I'm going to be happy. But here's what you can change. You can change the behavior. So if you're laying on the couch watching TV or laying in bed, get up out of bed, get up off the couch, go for a walk, breathe, meditate, do yoga, go to a bookstore, go to a coffee shop, go to a, a movie, whatever you want to do that you have control over. And by changing that behavior, you will subsequently change the thoughts and the emotions, which can help to pull you out of it. So again, it's so hard to take control and lead that horse to water, but but you have to to figure out a way to do that in a way that works for you in that given psychological state. I mean, does does that make sense or kind it of? Ma it makes absolute sense. And one okay. of the other points, maybe you and I talked about this before, but sometimes when the mood isn't changing, when the emotions and the thoughts aren't changing, there's that old saying, "Fake it till you make it." Oh, so you yes, almost yes, just yes, go, yes, "Hey, yes, I'm embracing yes, this. I'm not feeling it, but I'm gonna." Yeah. I'm, I'm going to smile and I'm going to get this thing yes, going. And yes. so talk about that. What's going on in the brain? What's going on physiologically to get you to fake it till you actually start making it there? Absolutely. And, and that's so true. I love that saying. I tell people that all the time. Um, just by putting a smile on your face, the, the research is overwhelming. Your mood will follow. It will start to improve. You can trick your brain into being happier and more upbeat. And here's the other thing. When you walk down the hallway at your practice, let's just say you had this horrible board meeting and your doctors are mad at you and you're not getting payment from your, your payers and your nursing staff is upset and you've got all this turnover. Just I mean, all the stress of these, these jobs that we have, walking down that hallway, putting a smile on your face, 
It makes you feel better, but also you will have a very different response from other people when you're smiling instead of grimacing and, and you know, having that mean look on your face. They will respond to you differently. Now, from a chemical standpoint, a neurochemical standpoint, that momentary bond you have with those people in the hallways increases your oxytocin, a very powerful hormone in your body. It's what we call the love hormone. That's an oversimplification, but that's what gives you those warm kind of connected feelings. That will also help you to reduce your testosterone. It'll get the anger, the irritability, the aggression to come down. So from a chemical standpoint, you've got a lot of things that are actually taking place internally by just putting the smile on your face and walking down the hallway. It makes a huge, huge difference. Okay. We've got time for a couple, couple more questions. And these yeah. are kind of interesting because as I'm sure all of our listeners know, there's, there's a day for everything. There's all these awareness days. Yeah, and I was yes. looking over the calendar um, for November to go, what, what are some of the days that get recognized in November? And I want to talk about two of them. Earlier this month, November 2, to be exact, was National Stress Awareness Day. We're talking about stress here. And yeah. one of the things, there aren't a heck of a lot of good things that have come out of the pandemic. There's been a lot of tragedy and trauma coming out of the pandemic, but there have been some good things. And one of them that I've observed and I've observed this uh, at our workplace, I've observed this through articles I've written, but people being open to their own vulnerability. Like in the past, it was like, Wow. Nothing bothers me. I'm not, you know, and I'm maybe a lot of things are bothering the person, but you just suck it up, stiff upper lip sort of thing. You don't want to talk about it. But now there's um, kind of removing some of the stigma. I don't know what you've seen in your own research where people have been able to go. I'm not doing well and I, I'm raising my hand to my organization, to my boss, to whoever it might be. I need help and not feeling like you're going to lose your job because, oh, this person's stressed out. We can't have this kind of person in our office. But right, what are right. your thoughts on that? And what have you seen? Yeah. And I think, gosh, so we could do a whole, whole podcast on that. I, I love your comment about the stiffer upper lip and sucking it up because that's traditionally how we do it, particularly leaders and practices. You know, we're used to being strong, like we talked about. And people have realized that that does not work. It never, ever works. I mean, this, this goes back to Freudian psychology, suppression, repression, never, ever, ever work. They make the situation worse. So all of a sudden during COVID, we're stuck in our homes. We're stuck with our families, our kids all day. I don't care if you're the most loving husband and wife in the world. If you're there 24 seven under stressful conditions, you're gonna have tension guaranteed. But I think some good came to that, as you mentioned, because all of a sudden, and these are not good things, I don't mean it that way, but you know, divorce rates went up, domestic violence went up, depression went up, behavioral health issues went up. Again, I'm not saying that's good. I don't want to be you know, mis misunderstood on that, but it did force a lot of people to deal with their issues. One, you were stuck at home. You actually had a little bit more time to think about it. We were mulling around these issues a little bit more. A lot of times we realized that it got to the point where it was bad enough that we needed to get help. We needed to reach out to a friend or a family member or a loved one or a professional to get that help. We, 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 although we were not isolated, like we were in with our families and friends, we actually felt more isolated than ever. So it actually enabled us to reach out 
build those social connections, which can help immensely, and to deal with that, that kind of inherited trait we have of, of suppressing and repressing things. So I think there was a lot of good that came from it. I think it also made us much more appreciative once the, the you know, restrictions were lifted to get back into the workforce. In fact, I remember San Diego last year at MGMA, that was the first conference you guys had had post-COVID. Right. People were ecstatic to be there. Were. I mean, we were so excited to, to not be doing webinars and Zoom conferences, but actually have a person there we could talk to and shake mm -hmm. hands with. And so I think it brought about a lot of good things from that aspect. So okay. like you said, a lot of negative things, but I think we have to always look at what were the positive things. And there really were a lot that came out of it. Right. And last question then, there's another day and an actual week coming up, one of these awareness days on our calendars. And uh, November 13th, it's World Kindness Day. And then it's World Kindness Week. What I want to ask you about this is, what does it do in the brain when we get out of our own minds and our own lives and all of our own neuroses and everything going on in our lives and we reach out to someone else, we help someone else, we provide one of those random acts of kindness? What, what goes yeah. on in the brain science there? There's so much. I mean, first of all, when you help somebody in need or somebody who is less fortunate than you, it puts everything into context. There's so much research on this. It, it doesn't even have to be another human being. You can see a dog running down the street who got out, who's scared and can't find his owner. Helping that little dog find his or her owner or get them to you know, a place where they're getting love and food makes you feel so much better about your own circumstance. Now things don't look so bad in your own life. With that little dog as an example, you probably have a home, you have food, you have water, you have shelter, you have love. The little dog didn't have that. Helping another human being in need, whether you're volunteering to help a, a kid learn to read or a veteran who's struggling or, or whatever the case is, mm -hmm it makes you realize that there is always somebody who has it worse off than you. And as bad as we may think things are going for us and as frustrated as we are running our practices and our daily challenges, it helps to put things into context. It also completely changes your hormonal panels, your neurotransmitters, your immune system. It reduces inflammation. Uh, and I can't remember the exact percentages, but these random acts of kindness, a lot of research on it, they've actually measured your cytokines, which are inflammatory uh, biochemicals in your body. It reduces those, it reduces inflammation, which of course inflammation causes about everything bad in your body. So it, it has all kinds of research supporting the hormonal changes, Again, the oxytocin we talked about earlier, the estrogen, the testosterone, your dopamine gets released. That's the feel-good uh, neurotransmitter in your brain. That gets released. You have There's really nothing negative that comes from it, and you just end up feeling good, and then those people feel better. You can actually have those acts of kindness uh, have a cascading effect. So th there's just absolutely so much research supporting the biochemistry, the psychological, every aspect of it is positive. Well, I will be sure and provide some links. I will connect with you offline and get some direct links to uh, some of this research so people can uh, look yep. this up for themselves, uh, have some access to some things they can do uh, for World Kindness Week um, yes, and yes. in dealing with their own stress as well. So be on the lookout that, uh, for that, everyone, in the episode show notes. Dr. Comer, Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for connecting with us and providing these insights. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always great to see you and uh, anytime I'm happy to. So thank you. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Mindful Medicine. 
thanks to our guest, Dr. Jeff Comer. We also want to thank Zoll Data Systems for sponsoring this week's show. The Zoll AR Boost Solution Suite increases revenue from payers and patients in compliance with the No Surprises Act, while reducing front-end workload and freeing up staff for higher value activities. Visit zolldata.com slash ARBoost to learn how you can ensure no payments are left on the table. And if you'd like to receive additional tools and resources related to workplace stress management, email us at podcast at mgma.com or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. Thanks again for taking time to listen to MGMA's Mindful Medicine. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage when it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance. There's a one stop shop using cloud based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for, so you can silo your disparate systems and make data backed business decisions. Visit mgma.com slash analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances and operations. Again, visit mgma.com slash analytics today.